uh, the first said, well, I built a big house for our mother. Moshe, the second son said, well, I sent her a Mercedes with a driver. And then David, the youngest, said, well, you remember how our mother loves reading the Bible and she can't see very well, so I sent her a remarkable parrot that recites the whole Bible. Took the greatest rabbis 12 years to teach him. All she has to do is say a chapter and verse and the parrot will recite it. Soon thereafter, a letter of thanks came from their elderly mother. Avram, the house you built is so huge. I live only in one room, but I have to clean the whole house. <laughs> Moshi, she said, I'm too old to travel. I stay home most of the time, so I rarely use a Mercedes. Besides that, the driver is a pain in the tuchus. And David, the chicken was delicious. <laughs> Anyways, <clears throat> oftentimes when you start reading a novel, the author presents the cast of characters to help you get better acquainted so the story can unfold. In the chapter that we're looking at today, we see a cast of those involved in the particular events of the last three and a half years of the Great Tribulation. So part of what is going on is the truth that Satan, God's enemy, now knows his time is even more short. He knows that if he's able to destroy Israel, then God will not be able to fulfill his promise to the Jewish people or usher in the promised millennial kingdom to them. Therefore, Satan will be behind horrific persecution of Israel. I mean, what we're seeing today is just a small example of what's going to be worldwide and horrific beyond anything that's ever happened since time began. Hopefully, as you did your questions this past week, you were able to come to the most logical conclusion that the woman spoken of here in chapter 12 uh, is the nation of Israel. John has this chapter more as a parenthesis. It's a little confusing, isn't it? <laughs> so this is a parenthesis in the book of Revelation. And we're also going to see another parenthesis in the middle of this chapter as well. But at any rate, uh, this is uh, section to make clear the cast of characters that we're going to see more closely as we look into the last three and a half years. So the woman with child, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars and she was with child and she cried out being in labor and in pain to give birth. Clearly there are a lot of different thoughts about what this verse means. John sees, a great, sees this great sign, and it is one of great importance. This is one of seven signs, great signs John sees. And as you know, we're approaching scripture as we study Revelation to be taken in its natural, literal way it's written. But that still does allow for symbolic language that points to what's true and real. Clearly, this woman is not a real woman, <clears throat> but a symbolic mother. There are symbolic women mentioned in throughout Revelation. We saw one in chapter 2, remember? Jezebel in the church who is leading people into sinful behavior. So in chapter 2 we saw that there'll be two more women in 17 and 19 as well. But this really is a critical portion to understand who this woman is in our study because how you interpret this will then determine how you interpret all of prophecy. The Old Testament is the background for the book that we're studying, and the scriptures must be interpreted in light of the truth found there. The church never gave birth to Jesus Christ. Rather, it was a Jewish woman from the nation of Israel. 
Clearly, the woman here is Israel, who is about to give birth to the promised Messiah, Jesus. And how John describes seeing her is clarified. If you look back in Genesis 37, which I know your questions, I believe, had you do that. You recall Joseph, one of Jacob's 12 sons, had a dream. And the sun and the moon and stars are pictured as Jacob, Rachel, and their 12 sons. So clearly a reference to the nation of Israel. As we are soon to celebrate Christmas, we'll sing songs like Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born. Unto us, this is Isaiah the prophet writing to the Jewish nation. The nation of Israel is the line of the Messiah, Jesus, that he would come through. But there was great pain when Jesus was born. Israel at the time is occupied by Rome. There is a great longing for the Messiah to come. We also have the only hope mentioned to us initially in Genesis 3:14 and 15 being fulfilled through the seed of the woman Satan would be dealt a final death blow then another sign appeared in heaven and behold a great red dragon having seven heads and 10 horns and on his heads were seven diadems and his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that she gave birth when, that he might devour her child. So now John sees another sign that appears in heaven. Clearly this is Satan, which is made more clear in verse 9. But this is the only place where Satan is referred to as a dragon. This pictures him as more terrifying, more deadly, and uh, the color red pictures him as one just hands wet from all the dark blood from all the people he has had killed. The seven heads are seven crowns showing his power for the seven empires that have ruled this earth. The first was Egypt, then Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome. And during the tribulation, there will be a ten-nation confederacy that rises up known as the revived Roman Empire. The ten horns referenced in Daniel 7 will be these ten political powers that will rule under Antichrist. There will be a shift in power as these ten kings arise under the authority of Antichrist. So these verses describe the horrific evil as Satan influences people of this world. However, his evil influence was also experienced in heaven as we read that a third of the stars of heaven were swept away with the dragon's tail to earth. So this seems to be a reference back in time to the fall of Satan when he deceived a third of the angels who all joined him in rebellion. I will be like the Most High. I will ascend to heaven. I mean, he was this glorious creature, angel that God created. But because of his pride, he rebelled against God and convinced a third of all the angelic beings to join him in this rebellion. So Satan and his angels can no longer dwell in heaven. Though at this present time, it appears there is access to God's presence as you look at the book of Job. And we know from Job and from the New Testament that he is the accuser of the brethren. The dragon was ready and waiting to destroy the child once the woman gave birth. So in reality, what has happened is that Satan couldn't devour the child Jesus when he was born. And instead, Jesus overcame Satan in his own death, burial, and resurrection, and he now sits on the throne of God, the victor. 
Well, the male child is Jesus Christ. Verse 5, and she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. So there's nothing about the life and ministry of Jesus. It's just the fact that he came and his ascension mentioned here. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God, there, that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. So verse 5, as I said, doesn't deal with the life of Christ on earth, but sets the stage for a conflict in the future. In this verse, we see the Messiah's conflict in the past with Satan as Jesus came into this world through the nation of Israel as promised to them. Satan failed to prevent Jesus' first coming, but he never stopped trying to put an end to the nation of Israel. So he will continue and always has continued to persecute Israel. And during the middle of the tribulation, every effort will be made to destroy Israel so that, as I said, none of his people are left for Jesus to return to. This is nothing new. Satan used Herod. He had him prepared and in power at the time of Jesus' birth to try to destroy all the baby boys. Long before that, Pharaoh wanted all the baby boys killed when they were born. Haman wanted to annihilate the Jewish people in the book of Esther. And throughout all of history, Hitler's and those who were before him have tried to do the same. Satan's motivation at this point in time in the tribulation is to annihilate Jews altogether, as I said, so no promise to them will be kept. Once the midway point comes and then the ongoing through the last three and a half years of the tribulation, this will be Satan's goal to eradicate all Jews and all people who love the Jewish Messiah. Verse 6 tells us that Israel will flee for their lives into the wilderness to a place prepared by God as he protects this remnant of his ancient people during this last three and a half years of the tribulations. The once foretold abomination of desolation will occur. You remember that's the rebuilt temple and the peace treaty that the Antichrist has with Israel. But in the midpoint, he's going to sit down on the throne and say, I'm God, worship me. And that's when the Jewish people are going to flee. And according to Matthew 24, 15 through 21, the Jewish people will flee for their lives. Jesus, remember, he said, don't go back. Don't go back to your house. Don't run inside to get a coat. Just run. And if you're pregnant, that's really going to be hard. Jesus said, don't go back. Just run. This remnant of Jewish people will be nourished by God for three and a half years. That is why Paul can say in Romans eleven twenty six that one day all Israel will be saved. This is the all he's speaking of. Then we have the angel Michael at war. So here's another parenthetical section within the big parenthetical section. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war and they were not strong enough. And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. The serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan. Who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. For this reason, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. As mentioned before, Satan roams about on this earth, destroying all that he can. But he also has 
apparently, and access to heaven where he accuses believers to God. He is a slanderer. He slanders believers. Just think about how he spoke about Job. Oh, the only reason he loves you, the only reason he worships you is because he's got a nice life. You take away everything he has, you give him pain, physical, and he'll want nothing to do with you. And that's the slanderer that Satan is. And he never gives up on trying to defeat believers spiritually and then to throw that defeat up before God and accuse his followers as being absolute spiritual failures and disasters. In the verse I just read, we see that even though Satan was defeated at the cross, his sentencing to the lake of fire is yet future at this point. What we see happening in these verses is a supernatural war of Satan against God and God's angels. Satan's domain is this earth, and he is the God of this world. And as we recall passages like Ephesians 6, it describes for us the warfare that's going on right now. We don't, we don't see it. It's in the unseen world, and it will reach its climax during the tribulation. Satan will start this war with Michael, and the holy angels will fight Satan and his demons. I, I can't even imagine. Both sides have powers and ways to fight that. We have no clue what that's going to look like. Both sides have these incredible powers, but Michael will prevail, and Satan and his demons will be cast out of heaven forever. At last, there is victory, as the adversary of God who deceives the whole world will be thrown to earth permanently with his fellow angels. So there's a great celebration then that goes on in heaven. All the saints are rejoicing that Satan is banished forever. Praise erupts because of the salvation experienced by believers and the kingdom of God and his authority have come in full. All the grief because of Satan's accusations have come to an end. Believers overcame the enemy because of the blood of the lamb and the word of his testimony, even though they are killed. They are the ones who overcame. They will overcome. The horrific suffering of the tribulation saints will be real, but because they do not love their own life, when faced with death, they'll be martyred and they'll find themselves safely home as an overcomer in the presence of Jesus. And that's true for present-day martyrs as well. I keep up with Voice of the Martyrs, a ministry to families who are experiencing continual persecution and martyrs regularly. And they, have, they are overcoming even though it looks like they lost one writer reminded me of the great hymn of the faith, The Mighty Fortress is Our God, where we read, The Prince of Darkness Grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word will fell him, and at a point in time, God's going to give that one little word. It's so easy to focus on the apparent victories Satan is enjoying today in our world, in our culture, and in our country. It just seems like he's in a win-win mode here. But these victories that Satan uh, keeps having will be short-lived, and he will be defeated, and Jesus will win. And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time and times and half a time. The same wording we read in Daniel 7 from the presence of the serpent. And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. But the earth helped the woman. The earth opened up its mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. So the dragon was enraged with the woman. And he went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God 
and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So here we see the rage of Satan. Satan knows for sure now that his time is very numbered and very brief. So he's going to do all in his power to vent his hatred and anger towards God. And the best way to do that is to destroy Israel and to destroy everyone who believes in Jesus as the Messiah. We are shocked by the anti-Semitism on the rise today in our country and around the world, but this is nothing compared to what is coming. As Satan tries to destroy the nation of Israel, God is going to step in and protect that remnant by preparing a place of refuge and safety during that last half of the tribulation. Satan is going to chase and hunt down Jewish people. And in his pursuit of them, those living in Israel and the land are going to run for their lives and God is going to intervene. Jesus speaks of this time in Matthew 24, 15 through 22. And he says in that passage, unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. The picture of two wings of great eagles so that a woman could fly into the wilderness is similar to what God said to Israel in Exodus 19.4. You yourselves have, been, uh, have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So God is going to intervene in this time uh, in the Great Tribulation. We aren't told exactly how he's going to do it or where this place of safety is. People throw up Petra, mountains, the east of Jerusalem. We just don't know where it's going to be, but it's going to be supernatural. And he is going to provide water and food for them to survive. The length of time is a phrase, as I mentioned, from Daniel 7, time, times, and time and a half. And that is the last half of the tribulation. Satan will attempt another attack on these people as pictured as a flood of water. The water, notice, is like a flood. So it's unclear what the water actually is, but it will be an assault by Satan to destroy these Jewish people who have fled. Satan again will experience defeat though, and that will just intensify his anger and his hatred. So now he's going to turn his attention to the rest of the world, where the rest of the Jewish people are, and all who have come to believe in the Jewish Messiah. And he is going to go after them and hunt them. Zechariah 13.8 tells us two-thirds of the Jewish people will be killed during the tribulation. Some think, does he go after the 144,000 and all those that they have led to faith in Jesus and all the Gentiles who have embraced the Jewish Messiah as well? Clearly, anyone who will take a stand for their faith in Jesus will be hunted down like an animal and killed by Satan and all those under his authority, under his direction. Those who keep the testimony of Jesus are persecuted believers who obey Jesus even to the place of being martyred for their faith. And even though all of this is in the future, we do gleam a better understanding of the conflict that has existed between Israel and Satan through, since Abraham was called out of Ur of the Chaldees. Satan has always sought to destroy this people through countless efforts throughout all of human history. Satan will persecute Jews during the tribulation. He'll have them thrown into jail. They'll witness to their jailers. He'll have them tortured. They'll still stay loyal. Uh, those who come to believe in him and impact other lives. And Satan will then kill them. And the result will be they'll be finally free and victors and home with their Messiah. They ultimately overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb as they give testimony to his blood in, in the commandments of Christ. So Satan loses because of Jesus, who is the seed of the woman promised long ago, 
who will crush his head, a final death blow. Again and again, Satan will try to prevent Christ's kingdom from being established on earth. However, the Lord Jesus will be completely triumphant. He will reign on here on earth. There will be a surviving tribulation saints that enter this earthly kingdom. It is heart-wrenching to think of the horrors that are yet to be experienced, particularly by the Jewish people. But after the terror of these days, the remnant of Israel who survived this wicked persecution will be saved and enter into the joy of the millennial kingdom, promised to them throughout the pages of the Old Testament. We have seen in our study today the sadistic evil that Satan promotes as he tries to destroy lives. I remind you of Paul's letter to the Ephesians in chapter 6, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. We've been looking at the future activities of Satan Uh, at the end times. However, from this passage, we see how active he is today in trying to keep unbelievers from the truth, to blind them in their lost condition, but also to bring defeat to believers through tempting us to sin and believing his lies. He is a master deceiver. He makes you think something's plausible and acceptable and okay, even though scripture may say it's not. And how often we fail to truly realize the bigger picture going on as God allows circumstances into our lives that are difficult. It's not the difficult boss at work necessarily or a family member that's giving you such difficulty. Understand it is Satan who wants you to blaspheme God by your response to the things he allows to come into your life. God is seeking to conform us to his image. Satan is seeking to destroy us and make us useless for God's kingdom, so that we are a terrible representative of the gospel. We need to be alert, ladies, and not so easily sucked in by his lies to us. If anything, our study today reminds us that the last chapter of human history brings the ultimate victory of Jesus and the ultimate defeat of our enemy, Satan, and his demons. But make sure you are on that winning side by having placed your trust in Jesus alone as your Savior and Lord. We overcome by the word of the testimony of our God and must love him more than our very lives. As I was thinking about this, uh, the strategy of Satan, as I said, has always been deceit. Sin came into this world because Eve believed Satan's lies to her. It was plausible. It was reasonable, the temptation that she heard from him, and it made sense. We must guard our hearts, ladies, so that we do not listen to his lies. The book uh, Lies Women Believe is a great, excellent source to help us think biblically so that we don't believe the lies that incite us to sin, to not trust our Lord. If we have thoughts that tempt us to have wrong thinking, we must not listen to the lie, we must not believe the lie, and we can't let it take root in our lives. Whatever overcomes us is what we will be enslaved to. So whether it's a problem with overeating, living a life characterized with fear and anxiety, sexual sins, bondage over money issues and greed and covetousness, or sinful habits of anger, Jesus came to set us free, and it is the truth that sets us free. We have to replace the lies that we are tempted with with his truth. 
The devil is an enemy that we cannot beat with our human efforts. His main tool is to deceive us so that we come away with attitudes and actions that we feel justified because that makes sense to us. Or we get stuck in a sinful behavior pattern and choices that we've made. We must counter each of his lies with truths of scripture. And that's the only way we can be set free from the bondage of sin. You know what? Your enemy, Satan, wants you to live your life defeated, discouraged, confused, angry, fearful, bitter, lonely, overwhelmed, ashamed, exhausted. That's how he wants you to live your life because you're useless (laughs) and a bad testimony. But from the truth of God's word, we see that he can set us free. He came that we might have life. He came that we might have abundant life. A life that we have peace in our hearts, even though it's all crazy around us. That we can be stable because our feet are on the, is on the rock. He is our foundation. That we can be content because we know he's sovereign. That we can have joy even if circumstances are awful. That we can be a loving person. That we can be gracious even to the ugly. This enemy that we are studying and seeing the future assaults that he's going to accomplish is doing that same kind of work today, and he wants to defeat each one of you and me as well. It would be helpful to identify the lies that you may believe, and then find the scriptures that give the truth so you stop believing the lies of our enemy. We are in a war zone, ladies, and we can never let our guard down and just go with what I feel. And what I think, because you know very well that what you feel is not trustworthy. And when you're feeling whatever you're feeling, that's when you have to find the truth in scripture to combat what you're feeling and say, regardless, though I feel this way, this is the truth. And I'm going to believe it. I'm going to live like it, even if I don't feel like it. I close with a word from Helen Rosevere, one of my heroes. She was a medical missionary in Africa for most of her life. She didn't die that very long ago. But there came a time in the country she served in where it was tremendous political unrest uh, where she served. And she and many believers that she was working with were severely uh, tested with beatings, torture, and rape. And she wrote in one of her books about that time, together we learned why God has given us his name, I am His grace always proved itself sufficient in the moment of need, but never before the necessary time. She said, and as I anticipated suffering in my imagination and thought about those cruel soldiers and what they would do next, I quivered with fear. I broke out in a cold sweat of horror. As I heard them drive into our village, my mouth went dry, my heart would miss a beat. Fear gripped me in an awful vice. But when the moment came for action, he gave me a quiet, cool exterior that he used to give others courage to. He filled me with a peace and an assurance about what to say or do that amazed me and often defeated the immediate tactics of the enemy. End of quote. After her teeth were bashed in by one soldier and then he raped her, she said she imagined the Lord asking her a question. Can you thank me for trusting you with this experience even if you never know why. Well, ladies, we are his own. We are bought with a price. And he will use any and every situations as a means to make us more like Christ, to give him glory. Father, I thank you for who you are and for your word. I thank you that you're letting us in on all the future things to come. 
And Lord, as we see the activities of the evil one and study um, this section that we have seen, so we know it's coming in the future of our rest of our studies, Lord, help us to have a reality check that this isn't just future warfare. We are in warfare right now. And I pray that we would be women of the word who believe that you're sovereign, who believe that you're working all things together for good, who believe that nothing can separate us from your love. Lord, I pray that we would walk by faith and not by what we feel. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, ladies.